This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth. A digital partner to the ambitious, the creative engine launching brands and igniting growth. The unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, John Peters. On this episode, we speak with Michael Schaefer, the co-founder of Noble, one of the fastest growing brands you may not know about just yet. Noble is a footwear, apparel, and accessory brand for people who train hard and don't believe in excuses. Noble, just the horns. Like many founders, Michael and his co-founder Marcus Wilson built Noble by doing every job from customer service calls to cleaning the floors to product design. When you listen to Michael's story, you can understand why they have no problems creating some of the best content in the athletic industry today. And none of it is paid, all organic content creation that generates millions of views across all of their platforms. In this interview, Michael talks about Noble's surfing roots, how his team extended the brand from training to running and much more, and why saying no to most opportunities has Noble positioned for the long game. This was such an authentic interview for an authentic brand like Noble. Let's get to the story. Our guest today is the CEO and founder of Noble, Michael Schaefer. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, to be thanks with you guys. yeah, no, it's awesome. We got a lot to talk about today. And um, Michael, uh, you know, you have a history of being in the footwear industry. Uh, we would just love to kind of start with maybe a little bit about your background and, and how that informed to founding Noble, which, you know, if you told somebody you're gonna start a footwear company, they're gonna say you're crazy. There's only <laughs> three or four footwear companies in the space. So how, how did you yeah. do it? Talk, talk, take us through that. So first of all, a quick clarification. I'm not the CEO. We don't have any. We're trying to stay away from titles as much as we can. My business partner and I, Marcus Wilson, and I run this together. Um, if you want to call us both CEOs, that's okay. But uh, we have a really good partnership, um, slightly different skill sets. Um, but that's why it's worked out. You know, we're starting this with him and there's a lot of trust uh, going both ways. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. Um, so we, we're, we're in this together. Um, from my personal background, I'm, as you can tell, I'm not from Boston, even though I'm, I'm based in Boston. Uh, my accent is uh, Austrian. I'm from Europe originally, lived in Asia for a couple of years and then ended up in the States for a uh, master's degree in product design. Long story short, thought I was going to be a car designer and somehow ended up in the footwear design industry. And my dad thought I was crazy because car design is a very prestigious industry, especially in Europe. Um, but I've had a blast since then. So that was in the late 90s. Worked for Reebok initially as a shoe designer. Um, then at and one basketball for a couple of years when they were in startup mode. They probably had around 70 people when I was there. Um, then uh, uh, Puma for a couple of years in Boston and then at Reebok before I went out on my own with Marcus. That's awesome. And uh, apologies to Marcus. I still, you know, co-CEOs here. Um, but, uh, uh, so, so when did you start Noble then? When was it you actually guys created your first product? So we, so Marcus and I stayed in touch. So we were both at Reebok. That's where we met. Um, he was head of, head of brand strategy. I was um, 
uh, global creative director responsible for all of product design. So we had a couple of design centers and we had an overlap for two years, became friends. He was actually one of the reasons I left Puma and, and went to, to Reebok at the time. And we stayed in touch and every year or so when we had a, a get together or a barbecue in the summer, we would talk about, hey, at some point we got to do something like a lot of people do, right? At some point we got to do something. We didn't know what the something was and we didn't really have the guts to pull the ripcord. But then at some point in 2011 or so, we started getting serious. And uh, in 2012, we both quit our jobs and started working together. But it was not about Noble. Um, we, it was actually initially for a cold water surf brand. I'm a passionate surfer, so we thought it was a great idea, uh, partnered up on that, had no idea about the industry, had never started a brand, had never been entrepreneurs. Um, Marcus did have some uh, venture and entrepreneurial background from his latest endeavor before he went out with me. But other than that, we never started anything um, individually. So. It was, it was an awesome experience doing this with another project first um, because we really learned a lot of things and had to do a lot of things ourselves that we had never done before. So that was, if we had started with Noble, I think Noble would have turned out very differently. Um, we got a crash course in you know, everything that you need to start a brand. And we were bootstrapped um, from the beginning, so there wasn't any money coming in to outsource you know, this or that. It was literally us, the two of us. And we worked with friends um, through the surf brand. We had gotten interest in, you know, who is done for your photography, who does your product design, you know, who comes up with your marketing plan. People liked what they saw, people in our network. And through that, uh, we all of a sudden had clients, which was awesome because they kept uh, the lights on for us, right? So at least we didn't pull a salary, but we had enough to pay the mortgages. And, you know, we still had, we're writing checks all the time to fund new inventory and things like that for, uh, noble when that started happening um so we had the, the surf brand going on at the same time as a, an agency working with clients and then the idea for noble and start starting to build that with basically a three-person team so we were busy and uh financially we put everything on the line it was literally just our savings accounts no money coming in obviously other than the clients for a really long time with noble um if you if you know about footwear you know apparel is also hard um, and uh, especially get fit right I think is is actually almost harder than footwear but footwear the initial expense is uh, is insane with you know sizing and mold runs and all that stuff so to do that on our own was it was definitely a huge risk we were completely naive um, and uh, you know we got close to the bottom uh, a couple times but um, when we launched Noble then in 2015 it immediately there was something to it and we could feel it right the, it just started, people started talking about it. Um, we had no marketing budget, it was all organic. So it was great to see that that first kind of month where we had validation that, okay, we didn't just waste all of this time and all of our money. Really cool. Michael, I am a cold water surfer myself and I have oh, to are? ask you out of curiosity. Yeah, um, I have to ask you, man, is that surf brand still around anywhere? I don't think, I, the, I don't even know if the, I think the Instagram handle is still public. It's, it was called Surf Right um, okay. for Right Coast. And uh, it, I think the handle was Surf Right Project. Um, Surf right Project. It was a small brand, you know, and I think the community definitely has been growing a lot with better technology, better wetsuits. I think more and more people oh, yeah. are attracted to surfing in, in other climates as well. But um, 
most important, and it created minimal revenue, right? We, we were dealing with independent surf shops, um, which is a mm -hmm. really, really hard thing to do. Um, but it really helped us figure out how to create content that people wanted to watch, right? How to create content that links in with product stories. Everything that we're doing now with Noble, basically we started there. So in that respect, it was super helpful for us and really important. Really interesting. Yeah, it is a beautiful sport and the, the content always lends itself to better marketing and storytelling. Um, yeah. Totally off topic, but if you're ever up here on the west coast of Canada, let me know and I'll take you out for a week. Oh, it's and beautiful. You know, we'll hit some spots. Yeah. It's awesome. I'll take you up on that for sure. <laughs> you bet. So, so Michael, I'd love to kind of jump right into what you just said there with, with content. So uh, I've been a big fan of the brand, been very impressed with the content uh, production uh, from podcasts that you guys have to Noble TV, which is very interesting. And then the Winwood and the art. I mean, there's so much to talk about. How do you guys look at the content? Uh, you clearly don't look at it the same as Nike or other footwear companies, right? So just right. talk to us more about that, uh, that content creation. Yeah, so first of all, everything we do, we do in-house, right? So we do sometimes hire help for certain projects when we, when we need uh, uh, more people on the team. But everything that you see from us, whether it's on social media, the film festival, um, is, is created, directed, managed, uh, shot inside post-production. It's all, it's all our team, which is insane because it's a very young team. We're a very lean team, um, for, you know, the amount of content that we put out. Uh, I don't know how to get it all done, but to your question, what was really important for me was that I had a certain frustration left over from my previous corporate jobs where I felt like content was always an afterthought that was outsourced. It was usually a, and I'm a little jaded because I'm, I was more on the product side at that point. And my role was to create amazing product. But then there was what was missing for me were the, 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 the concepts that really started together from the beginning where, you know, if you thought about a launch in, in the next year, how are we launching product and content together? What's the story? How do people are gonna consume this, whether it's social media or somewhere else? And, that always seemed to be an afterthought, even with, with huge companies that had, you know, unlimited, what it seemed like unlimited limited resources for hiring external companies, ad agencies, but it's always this like last minute thing. Oh, we got these running shoes. How are we going to talk about them? It was not from the beginning. So when we started Noble, we really, first of all, we wanted to keep everything in house and that's going to stay that way. Um, we are, it's, it's amazing to be able to build our own stories, our own character. Um, our own voice and the people on the team become that voice right and that the interesting thing was that the brand changed a little bit over time especially the first couple of years once we started hiring people because everybody kind of brought the personality into how we were making content how we were talking about it we had a very i don't want to say very militant but it was a much more hardcore message in the beginning um, it was myself marcus todd who is now a vp of marketing um, I did most of the copywriting, which I probably shouldn't have, um, all the photography in the beginning, all the post-production dabbled in videography a little bit. So it was my limited skill set that, you know, basically created the brand voice in the beginning. And then once we started hiring people, the voice changed a little bit because other people came in, right? So we, we're a little bit less, we don't take ourselves too serious, which is actually true for everybody on the team. Um, but you see that in the brand now, right? We don't take ourselves too serious, even though it's all about no excuses, no gimmicks, hard work. That's the only thing that's going to make you stronger and fitter and a better person. But at the same time, we do things like Jared's floral shop, right? 
who Jared, if, if you're into CrossFit, um, uh, you know him, if, if you're not into CrossFit, he's this Viking looking, you know, uh, games level athlete um, and, and a CrossFit box owner. And he's just a badass dude. When you look at that guy, you, you know, you don't want to meet him alone in a, in a dark alley, but he's the sweetest and most humble guy. So we created this fictional character that he's a floral shop uh, owner when we first thought about launching shoes with uh, floral prints on them. So rather than just creating a floral print, sh print shoe, taking a picture of it or a video and then launching it, so let's, let's build a story around this. Not everybody got it. Some people thought he did change careers, which was okay too, and they're still thinking that. But now it's becoming the chapters, right? So the first one was a storefront that we rented out, which we built out and made it look real. The second one, he was on the road with a beat up pickup truck. So now people are waiting for it. So, but that's, you know, I'm just bringing it up because not everything has to be about hard work and being serious. There's a certain spectrum that a brand can have. And we've definitely stretched it too far sometimes in the early days and tried things that were probably not on brand. But I don't think a brand is static. A brand changes. There's a core kind of um, personality and feeling to it. But then over time, you need to let it evolve a little bit, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So I'm just curious, Michael, because you, you worked in a place where you know, those things were siloed in many respects. And, and what you're describing is this culture that was created. Um, was it easy for you to embrace or did you have to check certain things at the door as, as it was happening? It was actually really easy because I had to do it all myself in the beginning, right? So we literally had, we had zero dollars to hire a photographer and, and, and do work for us, and especially the first year when we were getting ready. So um, we had no marketing budget. So the only thing that could spread the word before we launched was creating content that people actually wanted to watch, right? Um, without, without paying for ads. So I did all the photography in our garage. We, I made, we didn't have lighting, so I had to wait for the, the right time of day when the sunlight was just in the right angle so that I didn't get the shadows that I didn't want. Uh, it rigged like snow shovels and broomsticks and all this stuff to make it look like a photo studio, right? So that's, how we, that's literally how we started. But it was awesome because it, it gave me a lot of knowledge about, you know, I'm not a photographer, but I learned a lot throughout that process. And I have a lot of respect for the people that are on the team that are doing that. And it helped me kind of bridge from my more product design centric mindset to, hey, it's, all, it's also about how we talk about this, right? It's not just about um, what the shoe looks like and how it performs. There's a whole other aspect to why people would want to wear a t-shirt, right? That says noble, that there's a meaning behind this. And that's what you create through product, but also through content. I, uh, I met you actually uh, last fall when you were in Baltimore with David Kinise and you were part of a panel at the Industry Leadership Summit. And you also talked about not just being the, the product guy or, or the creative person, you also had to become the customer service rep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there were lots more uh, personalities that we, were, um, that we had to assimilate. So um, we always make this joke about my, my business partner, Marcus. He was Jim in shipping, and Jim screwed up a lot because Jim was not, a, uh, you know, he was not trained in shipping. So a lot of customers got, like, you know, the wrong size or the wrong order because on the way to the post office, sometimes the shipping labels got mixed up with the boxes. So we literally, the, you know, we were shipping. Um, we did have a warehouse very early on, but um, we didn't have customer service. Uh, we did all the shipping ourselves out of the warehouse in the beginning. 
Um, we tried to build out customer service until we got to a point where we had like, I think a thousand unanswered tickets and we had this big come to Jesus meeting in, in our office and we're like, listen, we're not a customer service uh, team. We just can't handle this anymore. People got really frustrated. So we, we outsourced that to a team in Columbus, Ohio, but they're managed very closely by us and they're always with us. So they know the brand. They might not sit in our office, but it's a very intimate relationship with them. But we did it all. Like we cleaned, you know, we cleaned the office, we cleaned the warehouse, we shipped product, we did answer customer service tickets. We worked and still do in retail at our office. Our office has a retail front. Everybody on the team um, has a slot uh, once or twice a week where we actually engage with customers. And that, that was a super rewarding experience because, and I think I might've said that in Baltimore, customer service for me before was a department that sat somewhere that I never went to, right? I know we had it, but I had nothing to do with that team. And now it's all about customer service. That's really, it, it, if, forget the product, forget the, the content. If the way we treat people when either they're super happy or when they have a problem, more importantly, um, if we don't do that right, that can quickly and very dramatically change the trajectory of a brand and of a, of a company. So a lot of respect for what you know these teams are doing especially our team and how they're engaging with customers and not not everybody's always happy right you just you can't make it right for everybody but we 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 take it very serious and we really try to do our best um if that makes sense hey M michael just as a follow-up to that um do you have any stories or you don't have to call any specific example out but your guys's culture speaks for itself. You just go to your Instagram page and anytime there's a complaint, you guys respond pretty quickly. Um, anything you've been surprised by uh, with COVID and, and, you know, are you reaping the rewards of treating your customers the right way? I, and I hate to say it that way because it sounds a little weird, but right. you, you know what I mean? Any examples there? Yeah, I mean, no, no specific examples, but maybe two things I can talk about. Um, I mean, we're, first of all, we are amazed and, and humbled by how much support we've gotten from the community over the last couple of months. And I guess that, again, goes back to this combination of product and content, right? People are more at home, probably more time spent on social media, and our following actually grew faster the last couple of months as it did the months before everything got locked down, which tells us that people like what they see and they want to be part of this, right? Um, so that, and, and the same with, uh, with purchases, it's, it's crazy. I mean, people are working out, they're working out at home, they're working out outside, they go for, you know, more people run now. Um, we've definitely, uh, seen that in our sales, which, which is amazing. So lots of support there, even though everybody's on edge in regards to where is this going and is this really over and is it coming back, right? So th there's a lot of uncertainty still, but, um, so far, um, it's been amazing to see that, but, um, Overall, with, with, with customer service and, and to your point about, you know, if there is a challenge or if, there's a, if somebody has an issue, we've definitely had phases like that. Um, also beyond individuals, when we said, okay, here's a pre-order, something's going to ship in three weeks. And then in three weeks, the product is not here because somewhere there was a problem, right? It's held up in customs. The boat didn't get there in time. Whatever it is, the customer, customers don't care about that. They, they want their product, right? But... Um, and we have a lot of people that get really, really pissed off and it tells us that they're very, very passionate about getting their product, which is really cool to see. But then once we resolve it, whatever in that particular case we need to do, we see 
in a lot of cases, an even closer connection with us as a team and with the brand because they, they have a person that they can talk to, the problem got resolved, and they're actually more likely to talk about that experience than the, the bad experience that they had before when they got the wrong size or this didn't work or that didn't work. They were initially pissed off, but because of how we treat them over time, I think it actually becomes a, a better connection and a better relationship. Michael, I may take us in a slightly different direction. As you, you talked about it, the, uh, the of Noble and, and the emphasis on CrossFit, but it seemed to be a bigger evolution for Noble. Can you speak about your sort of connected strategy and how it goes beyond the idea of CrossFit? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason we started in CrossFit was not a numbers game or a, a specific strategy. Uh, Marcus and I didn't sit down and said, which market are we most likely to succeed in? It was really a passion thing. Like we, I was at Reebok when Reebok started a partnership with CrossFit, got into CrossFit, still do it, love doing it. Marcus, the same thing. He's a little bit stronger than I am, but we both enjoy it. And a lot of our first uh, uh, employees that we hired were all coming in through that, right? Through that connection. Now, now we have a lot of people that don't CrossFit, but that's okay. It's not a requirement. But that's the only reason we, we started in CrossFit. We were passionate about it. We saw uh, that we had the skill set to create product. We had the knowledge. We were doing it. And, uh, and that's why the first shoe that we launched was a, a CrossFit product, right? It's a training product. You can, you can do whatever you want in it, but it works really well for CrossFit, which really abuses your, your product, specifically your shoes. Um, but uh, the, the mindset was always about a training brand. It was not a CrossFit brand. And we actually can't really say CrossFit because CrossFit is a trademarked brand name. There's a relationship with Reebok. So... In the beginning, we were very careful in interviews even to, to not talk about CrossFit because we didn't want to, you know, step on anyone's toes and it was functional fitness and we clearly catered to the CrossFit consumer, but you would never see the word CrossFit on any of our communication or on social media that we put out. Um, but to your question, it's definitely gone beyond that. We launched our first running product, I think two years ago now in the summer, um, almost two years, the Knit Runner. That very organically took off very quickly without us marketing to the broader running community. It was CrossFitters that also go for runs. It was their friends then saying, hey, what are you wearing? You know, they might not CrossFit, but they might go for a run with a CrossFitter. So that's how we organically started getting some foothold in the running community. Um, and then uh, from, a, from a longer term perspective, it's really about people who train hard and don't believe in excuses, right? And you can apply that mindset to any sport. What when, or any activity. What we really believe in is, and that was actually the reason why we named the brand Noble, was we were tired of gimmicks in product and companies telling you that wearing something is going to make you fitter, right? Which technology is good. We're not saying you shouldn't wear technology. Obviously, there's enhancements and new products and new materials coming out. We're taking advantage of that. But to wait for the product to make you fitter is not the mindset that we stand behind. The, the, the product that you wear is getting you through the workout. You shouldn't feel it. It should, you know, it should be comfortable and hold up, but it's not going to make you run faster. It's not going to make you lift more. That's on you. And that's really the, the mindset behind it. And you can apply that to any sport. Anyone that trains for something um, could be part of that. 
Hey, hey, Michael, this is awesome. And uh, dare I say this is even better than listening to Masterclass. I'd much rather listen to, to <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll get you out of here on one more and would love to bring you back on uh, and, and keep telling stories here. Uh, my, my question is around kind of growth and expansion. So mm -hmm. you guys uh, obviously came into apparel, you mentioned runner, the run shoe, and then you had a dress shoe that you, you put out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how it went, but uh, more, more, really, more, yeah. more broadly, um, you know, Outdoor Voices, list goes on of a lot of digitally native brands that kind of suffer right now and they raise a lot of capital as, as we know. You guys seem to be methodically growing bit by bit by bit. Can you just talk about how you think about that and how you guys are planning to expand? Yeah, great question. You say no a lot. That's really, the, honestly, that's the, the, the most important thing for us. We had so many opportunities um, to grow faster, to have distributors in certain countries or markets, right? To outsource retail in certain markets. I mean, the people are knocking at the door from the beginning, but, but now it's, it's, it's insane. Um, for people that want to be part of it, but then basically would mean us giving up control or hoping for the best that the execution would be on par with what we're expecting. And yes, it will create revenue faster, but it, there's a huge risk in regards to protecting kind of the essence of what we've built and the voice of what we've built and also the experience that people have when they, ooh, sorry, my dog just bumped his head. You okay? Yeah, come here. COVID times. We have a little Aussie doodle here. <laughs> sorry. No, it's awesome. <laughs> he just ran into the side of the table here. Um, so... I'm sure there's an Aussie joke in there somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> oh, there's lots of Aussie jokes with Austrians. Yeah. <laughs> whenever, whenever I say it to somebody that I surf, it's like, oh yeah, you're from Australia. Of course you surf. I'm like, no, it's we're landlocked in Austria. No, no, no ocean there. Um, but the saying no, I think is really, really important. And, and to your point about being methodical, yes, we could have grown faster and created more revenue and, and, you know, hired more people and paid ourselves more money and all that good stuff. But that's not the point, right? We're in this for the long term. We want to build something that, that we believe in and are proud of for the long term. And we, we'd rather pass on things where we're not sure whether we can keep the integrity of, of what we've built and what we want to build going forward going. So that's why you don't see more retail from us yet. Um, that's why you don't see us, uh, you know, selling in all, we sell to all countries. We ship from the U.S., um, but we have, we have one distribution center set up in Europe for the European market. But uh, it's been challenging, actually, because we are selling out of products so quickly in the U.S. that from a numbers perspective, it actually makes more sense for us to keep more inventory in the U.S. versus shipping around the world, right? So, which creates a lot of frustration then by European customers that are diehard fans of, of our brand. They're like, wait a minute, on the European website, I can't even get all the product and the sizes. So we're currently um, in, in, in really uh, interesting conversations around how to make that experience better for people, first in Europe, but then also in, in other markets that are really important for us. But, but it's, it's, it's been slow and on purpose um, slow, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and well, we can't wait to watch you throw more gas on the fire and keep building the brand, man. It's uh... <laughs> been awesome to see and, and this was a great Thank discussion you. today michael appreciate uh, appreciate the time likewise great questions thanks guys thank you thank you you can subscribe to this podcast on all major podcast platforms until next time play hard or at least look good doing it <laughs>